Howdy memes! Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Hey, happy Wednesday. Welcome to the show, Meeps. It is the Meeple Syrup Show. It is a wonderful Wednesday, and we're here today with Liz and Adi from Gather Round Games. We also have our regular complement of co-hosts. We have Jesse Wright from the sunny shores of California and Erica from, you know, Toronto, just up the street. Uh, <laughs> just, just Toronto. So go Raps, go Raps. And uh, we have with us today Liz and Adi from Gather Round Games. Where are you all from, actually? Hi, we're, uh, we're in New York. And are you still college students? No, no. Okay. Because you're in your profiles. Yeah. In your last year, and I can't. I didn't know if you were still in your last year or not in your last year or something. No, no, we're almost three years out now. Oh wow! Okay, good. So you need to change, you. change your bios. That's one thing. <laughs> That's great. And um, what what is what is it that Gather Around Games mission statement is before we get started on other stuff? I I guess our mission statement is we want to focus on games that. Um, our narrative first. I mean, it's hard to have, we have one game under our belt right now. And that is sort of the spirit with which we went at that one. And we want to keep that going. So I think, yeah, the, the, the story of, I guess, the someone has died kind of seems the story of you guys essentially meeting as well. So, I mean, I, we were reading on your bio a little bit that um, mm -hmm. it was a, a game you guys made, or you, sorry, you and, uh, so Adi and Ellie, I guess you guys made mm -hmm. it yes. for class. So yeah. I, we'd love to hear the story because I think this is a great setup of who you guys are of that game to Kickstarter, to you know, running it from your website and where you're going next. And that's kind of what we talk about as well. But I think kind of hearing that story of how that game came about will be the story of you guys, how you came about. Uh -huh. Well, so Liz and I actually were um, roommates since our freshman year of college. Or not roommates, we were on the same hall. We were and on like a themed hall um, where we You all went to school together? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then, um, so yeah, we met freshman year of college, uh, by senior year. Oh, those are our photos. <laughs> by senior year, uh, we were living together and our last semester, we were at Wesleyan up in Connecticut. Our last semester, Adi took a game design class. Yeah, it was, we had for the first time, uh, the film and computer science departments got together and we're like, Hey, let's have some classes and there was one that was taught by a computer science professor and one that was bought by a film professor. I took that one and that one didn't teach programming. So we like studied video games and then made board games as our project. And along with Ellie, Someone Has Died um, was our answer to the prompt of making a social game. We were given games like Werewolf and Mafia as examples and in those games uh, people are dying round after round. And we were really stumped for ideas and so decided to go with the death of someone as uh, the jumping off point. And the will arbitration came shortly after. And like Liz said, that was at my senior year school and I graduated and I, I, I found an internship, but nothing that I was like entirely consumed by. So I was like, I need something to do with my time. People really like this someone has died thing in class. They're like working full time is great. What can I do? That takes up more time though. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, Ellie was still in school. So um, I started taking Someone Has Died to small expos just in New York with the playcrafting organization. And then come December, after I had started, like I'd already been playing with some strangers, like the idea of Kickstarter had like started floating around. Uh, so that December I brought Liz on because Liz was around. And <laughs> and I and like she came to a bunch of the expos and kind of like I, I hear she got jealous. That's what I. That's what I, heard. <laughs> I or did you yeah. read that? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's actually kind of funny because you you made the game while we were living together, and you played it with all our friends in our house, and I was not there. That's true. So the first time she showed it to all of our friends, I was I was stuck at the library in a hurricane at, at school. Um, 
So I like finally came home and everyone was like, we played this really fun game. Too bad you missed it. And I was like, oh, oh. okay. <laughs> um, so technically, even though I am now an owner of it, uh, other people played it before me. That's somehow how, but yeah, that's I, how it goes, yeah. I was a big fan of the game. I thought it was really great. I was a big fan of a D because we've been friends for a while. Uh, and I mean, that post-college time is such a like weird, amorphous, like, really bad time so it was like a really nice thing to have as like grounding a, a grounding thing while you're figuring out like what now so um so before we move to talking about the the step into kickstarter could you just tell us a little bit about someone has died just so that everybody's got uh, a, a grounding and what this game is like we know that someone has died but then mm -hmm. who are we as the players and what are we doing? Um, and, and what did you do to try and bring the narrative that inspired you through the gameplay? Sure, so uh, Someone's Died is uh, a will arbitration game, uh, which I really hope is at least among the first time that those words have been put together. Um, <laughs> I know for a fact that it's not the first, but um, the premise of the game is that one person plays an estate keeper, um, a lawyer who has been tasked with um, disseminating the fortune of someone who has died. And every game that someone is different, um, you'll draw an identity card to for inspiration. And then every time the estate keeper sets up who died, how they died, and what was left behind. And everyone else is playing people who are attending this little arbitration who have some some claim to the fortune. So they are trying to argue to this estate keeper why they should deserve the fortune. Each player is given uh, a hand of cards that they'll use to kind of create a character and they have to argue as that character. So it's a very like role play heavy game that's also or like it's a it's a lot of role play but it's it's a very easy way to kind of get into the mindset of like playing a character. Yeah we found that because um, the scenario and the cards themselves are so specific and strange um, that that kind of constraint makes it a lot easier for people to wiggle through and piece together a story as they go. Um, and yeah, so as we were making the cards, thinking of things that gave players something to go off of but didn't tell the whole story on the card, that was the main way that I think we could attempt to to push forward what we were trying to do. So is it the person with the most, con sorry, the person with the most convincing story or is it the funniest story or is it whatever criteria you set? It's up to the estate keeper. Um, it is a subjective choice at the end of the game, but um, our one sort of caveat to that is that the estate keeper has to come up with an in-game reason for why they're awarding the fortune. So it could be to the person who's the funniest, but, um, you have to find a narrative reason to, to give it to that person. Cool. Um, and what, uh, just to dig a little bit more into the nitty gritty of the design, were there any particular cards or identities or roles or situations that you thought, oh yeah, this is gonna be a great one. And then you put it on the table in front of people and realize that was a terrible idea? Yep. <laughs> oh, we have so many spreadsheets filled with ideas that either like some that ended up on the table and like just fell flat and then some that never made, like never even made it to the table. Um, Liz really wanted to have Alexander Hamilton be an identity in the game. Um, and then, uh, well, the joke was gonna be that the identity was Alexander Hamilton and then the flavor text was, would be, my name is Alexander Hamilton. Um, Turns out not many people got or liked that joke, so we ended up cutting it. <laughs> like the first I, I think we would have got the joke. <laughs> we would have liked it. Seven times it hit the table. People were like, oh, I'm Alexander Hamilton. No, my name is Alexander Hamilton. Nothing. My mic is crackling, apparently. Is it still crackling? Damn Oh, yes. <laughs> only uh, when you speak. Sorry. But only when I speak. Yeah, it's not crackling the whole time, is what I mean. Mm. It's like not. Sorry. All right. Well, you guys keep talking, and I'm gonna go figure out this mic. Ready? Go. Um, and I can say that one one that you pitched that didn't end up in the game, even though it was a great idea, we just didn't have room for it, was a pardon turkey. Oh right. And that was a really weird one that people somehow got though. 
Like people played that off very well. All right. I mean, gobble gobble, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So, do, do you have anything else on this, Erica? No, no. I it was okay. great to hear about the game because I, I really want to hear the journey because I, I, a, a lot of people who watch are either game designers or want to be game designers or want to be publishers or publishers. So it's always nice not only just to hear the story of how you got to where you got, but also a lot of the the, the lessons that you learned along the way because a lot of people are considering self-publishing and that's exactly what you guys did. Yeah, so after the Playcrafting Expos, and I mean, Playcrafting is a small indie organization that is in uh, New York City, Boston, and San Francisco. And they um, are growing all the time. But when I was, when I first started going, it was like they would host these free expos every three months or so um, in a space. And it was really easy to get in. It was video games and tabletop together. Um, and you could go and get your game in front of people for the first time without, um, without the huge convention environment. So that was how I started dipping my teeth into playtesting, dipping my teeth. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> We're mixed metaphors, it's fine. <laughs> what was I even going for? I don't know, but I wouldn't have noticed. Sticking my teeth, dipping my toes in. Mm, right. You know, those teeth toes. Teeth and toes. It's all about teeth toes. Uh, but so uh, we. <laughs> well, that's also how you met other designers at the time, right? By that's... going to these events. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rude. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I started meeting a handful of other designers who were telling me about how they were going to conventions. Uh, that's how I found out about the Indie Mega Booth, which was our next step. Um, we applied for the Indie Mega Booth, and. That December, right when Liz joined, we found out that we got it for PAX East. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, Indie Mega Booth is an, uh, an organization that takes indie teams to big conventions like PAX uh, East, West, GDC. Um, and they're a little more video game focused. And actually, as of late, they dropped tabletop entirely. But that's a different conversation. Um, yeah, when we were attending, they had a they had a tabletop section, uh, which was our so we were able to attend PAX East. Uh, which was really our kind of first convention other than these small ones in New York City. So it really was jumping in teeth first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a running joke. Can I just leave? Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, how was that first experience at PAC, e PAX East for you? Terrifying. <laughs> we made it. We, we yeah. Lived. Yeah. Um, yeah, we brought, um, Ellie came out and we found one more recruit come with us to Boston. So it was just the four of us for, and at the time, uh, Indie Mega Booth had it set up so that um, all 10 tabletop teams were on the center of the show floor for the entire three days. It was three days then at least, thank God. I think if it was four, we would have actually keeled over. Um, but so it was just like four of us. We were all four women who had never been in this kind of environment before, let alone exhibiting something in this environment before. Um, and aside from being exhausting, it was also really, really wonderful. Oh, it was so fun. <laughs> like, we were playing the game nonstop over and over again. We whipped up, like, a last-minute prototype that was, like, a tuck box, yay big, that had um, 108 cards in it. The full game ended up being 163 after all of our stretch goals and stuff. Um, but so we had our first deck. We like made sure that we had art for every card. It was a scramble to get ready for that. And then people responded to the game amazingly, um, like in a way we couldn't have even expected. And like, yeah, and, and, and at that PAX East, we were still six months away from um, the Kickstarter, but it was great for building our newsletter, building a bit of a social following. Yeah, we had, we had a lot of people who played Someone has died with us at that first PAX East in 2017, who we saw either the next year at, at a different convention in Boston or on the East Coast, who would say, like, yeah, I saw your game at PAX East, and, like, I played this character who had this thing, and, like, remembers the details perfectly. Uh, so that was really encouraging, obviously, that it stuck with people that well. Yeah, you want to be memorable, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that's... Uh... Is my mic still crackling or no? No, you're no, good. No, you're good. Yeah. That's what refreshing your screen does. Um, <laughs> so one of the cool things about how we build memories, uh, I'm a psychology guy, so 
um, is that it's through stories. And so it doesn't, does not at all surprise me that when you're saying that people remember the characters, because you guys curated a bunch of cards. I looked at some of them on the website, you know, like they're really interesting graphically. Uh, they're simple, but profound. All the roles are different. And you're, you're making people tell a story about this odd set of stuff that's just going to stick in their memories. And if they're laughing while they're doing it, then you've got all the rest of those neurochemicals going on where you're just bathing the brain in all sorts of, of positive reinforcement, uh, endorphins, all that kind of stuff that makes memories really like happy memories stay on. And so I think you've got a really good recipe here for people remembering your game. Um, and when Jesse came back from the last packs, he said, we've got to get these people on. There's, they've had this cool game and they have another cool game coming. So we'll talk about that in a, biz, in a bit, but I wanted to talk to you guys first <coughs> about something you alluded to when you said there was just four of you doing all this stuff. Um, and so when Jesse had pitched us, you guys coming onto the show, he said, and they do everything. You guys are taking care of like almost everything with the th three or four of you, three of you, yeah. really, right? Well, um, so the gather round games is just the two of us. It's just, oh, it's just the two of you. Yeah. And, and Ellie is, was just the, uh, like, just. Ellie was the co-designer of Someone Has Died, and she also was the concept artist. Okay, so cool. She did all of the physical sketching um, for the game. She also came up with a bunch of the card ideas, and then I ended up being the digital illustrator and also the graphic designer. Okay, excellent. So so tell me, in your roles in Gather Around Games, uh, A, what roles are there? And B, how do you divide all that up? Um, we could probably stand to be a little better at that, to be honest. Um, uh, Liz takes on a lot of the community management mm -hmm. stuff. Um, once we started doing Kickstarter um, and we teamed up with Backerkit, Liz kind of took on the brunt of handling shipping logistics, customer service, reward, rewards, um, Spread like even now, like yeah, that's something that I'm terrible at. Oh, I do remember the first when I first joined the team in December 2016. I think like we had our official conversation of like, okay, I'm a member, and I'm like, I'm gonna clean up your spreadsheets because sure. you had all the game. You have, it, I think it was the card idea spreadsheets that was just like a mix of things, and I just remember that was my first thing, like just parsing through all these strange, weird ideas and making it look better. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I do a lot of the like community management stuff, um, and then Adine does everything else. <laughs> no, I mean a lot of what we do is very collaborative, and I I'm definitely the kind of person who like needs to bounce everything from like big picture ideas to like the wording of an email before I can like go ahead and send it out. So I definitely need Liz as like a second hand. Okay, so so this is gonna be like a wedding. I want you guys to sit kind of back to back. No, just, I'm kidding. Uh, you know when you hold the shoes up? You ever see that wedding? No. <laughs> what are you talking no, about? You're going with that. You don't? No. You've never seen that? Erica. You've back to seen back that? with shoes. Are we hitting each other with the shoes? You, you totally wish. could, but no. So Often. basically, basically what usually happens is one of the spouses has the other spouse's shoe and the other spouse has the other spouse's shoe. And when uh, you say, the, then the MC would say, okay, who does the dishes? And somebody would hold up their shoe. And usually it's, just, okay. it's, it's usually to show that in a joking way that one spouse, one, one of the members of the family is responsible for lots of the things. Um, anyway, but I wanted to do that with you guys. Not, you don't have to go back to back, but just, <laughs> okay. So designing the games, who's, who's most responsible for designing the games? We split that. Oh, good. Okay. I mean, with with someone has died, the, um, the 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 project and a lot of the development happened before Liz joined the team. Um, but um, so our game works now. Our game works in four rounds. Um, we have uh, the introductory statements, the interrogation round, the recess round and the final statements. And the recess round did not exist before Liz joined the team and is one of the funnest parts of the game. So uh, I- my, my living legacy. That is, mm -hmm. that is definitely like our collaborative area. So I mean, she, her development, it sounds like she did. 
Yeah. Oh, I guess so. Fine. Development. Okay, yeah. good. So you but develop, you develop it. Yes. Uh, graphic design. Who's, who does most of the graphic design? Me. Okay. So that's a D. What about illustration? Do you hire out illustrators or are you still doing that mostly yourself? It's me and, and Ellie for, okay. for someone's side. For, okay. our, for future stuff, we haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's future use probably, yeah. right? Yeah. Future D can figure that one out. <laughs> um, and future Liz will tell her what to do. Um, let's see here. What else? Um, so logistics, so like shipping and distribution and that kind of stuff. That's, that's also D. Okay. Negotiating uh, with. Uh, printers as well, or like figuring out how to the manufacturing, the manufacturing. Aspect. Yeah, um, I guess I do most of that, but he does a lot of budget or like handles our budgets and obviously has nailed it. Okay, so she she writes in the spreadsheets and then you clean them up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, customer service. Liz. Okay, and community management. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you guys have a big community following yet? Sort of. I mean, we have. I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, we've had um, we had a good amount of people sort of like stick through it with us. We have our like handful of people who will like react to everything we post and that are very supportive of us. Um, Great. So you have your. Yeah. your I mean, I don't know the numbers all the time. We should probably head. know that. <laughs> I should know that. I'm. That falls under my. I know our Kickstarter numbers. But. Yeah. Um, what about? Oh, you said customer service. Liz does customer service. So, like sending out replacement parts and things. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, what about marketing? We share that. Yeah. I think Liz does the brunt of like the actual tweeting, but I'll be like, "Hey, Origins is coming up. Like, we should tweet about Origins." This is my way of reminding you that we need to tweet about Origins. <laughs> about origins okay great uh, yeah. what, other, what other roles are there jesse and erica that that you can think of well while we're thinking follow up on that one um what kinds of marketing do you actually do mm. you just mentioned tweeting but is there more to it than that is that all you guys do um i mean i think a huge part of our marketing is like showing up places <laughs> like it's just yeah. Making the effort to go to taxes and to bfigs and to whatever we can afford to go to. Yeah, I mean it's a lot of social media. Obviously, uh, we started building our email list pretty early, so uh, yeah, that was that was a big one for us. Mm -hmm. um, especially like pre Kickstarter, we were really focused on getting emails. Um, yeah, and it is it it really helps having our names in physical space, physical game spaces. Because even if people don't stop to see the game, like they will hear about it. Um, so we'll have plenty of people who say, like, I've heard about this game just right. from oh, the okay. game time. Right. So yeah. the name of the game, not necessarily Liz or a D, but no, somewhere. people don't need to know our names. panel every once in a while just to like be present. Like it's just a matter of like establishing us as existing in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really okay. Trying, so, trying to engage with like the game community. Yeah. And I think how, how are you really doing that? How do you engage instead of just push? Um, I think the our, we're best at doing that. I think at conventions. Okay. Where um, we're on the ground, we're meeting players, and we're also meeting other designers and uh, manufacturers, people in the industry, um, and just trying to talk like talking shop i think is the it's really fun but also like the way that we're able to show that we at least somewhat know what we're doing and also um learn yeah which is the biggest thing excellent okay. it's been partially too like we we came into this community through we were introduced by like really welcoming people who were very helpful and just friendly so i think that's kind of the attitude we went into it with um just trying to like engage with people in any way we can pay it forward yeah because i mean conventions, conventions are so tiring and yes. weird and like just weird social spaces so i don't think anyone is 100 percent comfortable at them so i think kind of embracing that and being like we're doing a weird thing uh really 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 uh bonds you 
embrace the weirdness. Yeah. Is that, is that your company motto? Because it should be. That would be a great company motto. Embrace the weirdness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Hello, by, by the way, um, Nick Nazaro says hello. <laughs> Nick, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Making friends already. He's gone. That is community out. engagement. Negging. <laughs> yeah. The best kind of community engagement there is. Excellent. So you guys, you, you really have kind of literally embraced the weirdness, come in, grab your future by the reins that are kind of Yoink. taking it. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And it was interesting when Liz said that, you know, during that time after college where you didn't really, you know, have a lot of maybe stability or where you were going in the future, at least the game and the company around the game kept you sort of focused. Right? Yeah. Oh, it's the thing I've been working the longest on in my life at this point. Like, it's really strange. <laughs> they, yeah. What's your, what's your legacy? Someone has died. <laughs> yeah. Hey, That's it's fair. a published game. <laughs> That's great. Um, we, have a, we have a question from the audience. Um, Zach yes, Connolly uh, said, you mentioned using BackerKit. Uh, since you published a small game, how, what did you find the benefits of BackerKit were? Well, we should preface this by just saying, like, we were fortunate enough that we raised enough on Kickstarter that we could use a service like BackerKit. Uh, there are plenty of games that, like, you, you said, like, oh, they do it all themselves. Like, we were able to hire people to do some stuff for us, which definitely, like, saved us a lot. Um, like some people physically pack and ship all their games. We didn't do that. Um, so being able to use BackerKit was a really, it, it was great that we had that option. Um, and it was really beneficial just to deal with the sheer amount of information that we were using uh, or that we had. Like it's very hard to keep track of backers. Um, so it was very, it, it made it a lot smoother to keep track of all that information. Yeah, there's probably a certain number, and I'm sure it varies based on the person and their like personal stamina with how many times they can like lick an envelope and close it. <laughs> with, with our, it, it was a relatively small game, but we did have a backer base of like 1,700 people, and I don't think um, we would have been able to pack those boxes as efficiently as backer them. <laughs> and since we had the means, we went ahead. And we should talk about that a bit because you guys had a really successful Kickstarter for not only for first time creator, but for a card game in general, because uh, you guys did over $50,000. Yeah. And so, I mean, it would be great to hear a little bit of the, the lessons you sort of learned going through the Kickstarter process, because I think that's the scary part for a lot of people is the unknown of like, what is that? What is that like? Yeah. Um, I feel like there's so much out there about this process and that like like in order to get ready for it like we read so much of like what's already out there about the process of kickstarting that like it feels a little bit like a broken record but um well it's good to say i know everyone goes obviously like the stagmire like blogs sure, sure, and things sure. like that but it's great to hear personal experiences of this is what happened to us totally and there's like a lot of things that like for example, like, I'm just saying the Stegmeyer blog because you did, but like, there's a lot of stuff that will be written that, like, you either don't necessarily have to do or you could do and then, like, won't work for you. I think a lot of it is, um, <laughs> is uh, the luck of it. No, it's, what, I, what I like to say is, like, we, we put in a lot of work. We put in about a year and a half of going to conventions, building the newsletter list, uh, working on the game, d deciding what our stretch goals were going to be, deciding um what price we could set the game at to like set ourselves up to meet the goal like networking we did the whole thing um but there is a a, a component of luck involved and like if you don't put in the work you won't get lucky mm -hmm. but um we did put in some work and and <laughs> we got lucky yeah there are plenty of rules as far as doing a kickstarter and i think the the most important thing to remember is like you can follow every single rule and still fail. And there are plenty of projects that follow every, that ignore every single rule and, and make tons of money. Um, so I think it's important to keep, keep that in mind and just keep perspective that like there is that, like luck is such a huge part of it that 
it, it, it's not always a reflection on on the game or how much work you put into it. Um, yeah. So I think that's very poignant because uh, there's a lot of times when the so-called experts will come out with all their rules and all these, you know, you can't start on a Monday, you have to do it, launch on a Tuesday and et cetera, et cetera. And then something comes along and just blows that rule out of the water. So, I mean, there's no hard and fast rules. I think there's heuristics and there's kind of, you know, good ideas, but uh, yeah, you're right. So on that topic, was there anything that you did with your Kickstarter uh, that you thought was breaking the mold or doing something different or special at the time? Hmm, that's a great question. At the time? Yeah, because um, this was two years ago. Certainly the yeah, rules have changed. Right, <laughs> that's true. Um, no, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like at that we were so desperate we to sort the of rules. fit yeah. the mold. Um, I think maybe one of the things we did that like now in retrospect, I feel like we probably shouldn't have, was we set it up to have a huge um, boost in content on a specific stretch goal. And it wasn't something like um, set in stone, like, oh, we'll add this card and it'll have like a UV foil, right? We were like, if we hit this amount of money, we can make the game bigger. Like, we'll just add more cards to the game. Um, and we hit that stretch goal. We also hit an expansion stretch goal. And what we didn't realize at that point, it's like, oh, it's going to take us another six months at least to make all the content to now expand this game to be like... Uh, a, a third bigger than it already was. Um, so that um, I don't think people do anymore. I think people have learned better than doing that, or at least they'll have the content sort of ready on the side and then they'll be like, oh, we'll do this maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, we did not have that content ready. Yeah, we, had to, we had to come up with ideas and like obviously we had some set aside that, had, that we were sitting on for in case we had this. But we had to come up with the ideas. We had to play test them. Once we settled, like which ideas we wanted, they had. We had to come up with art for them, and that was really the point where, uh, El, like Ellie would do the concept draws, and then Adi would have to digitize everything. And they were under a pretty hard time crunch to do this by the, by our production deadline. And that's was I when I was in the corner, like you're doing great, <laughs> good job with the art. Came up so with you're also art. the cheerleader. I did. Uh, there you go. That's I another just, rule. It's important. It's a really important rule. Well, I mean, it really is. by writing a lot of the flavor text on the new cards. So all those dumb idea, all those dumb jokes are mine. That, that's some, some of the most memorable stuff, though. We have another question yeah. from our audience. Uh, Brad Batchelor, uh, one of our Patreons, uh, asks, any surprises or anxieties during production or fulfillment? All the surprises <laughs> and anxieties during production <laughs> or fulfillment. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, suddenly, like having a passion project that you sort of work on on the side when you have time to suddenly being beholden to 1,700 people to like deliver a product by a certain date, um, that causes a, a bit of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, we had lots of, so it was our first time working with a printer and like submitting files and stuff. Um, we had decided that we would get it all to them in March. Um, we, we make the extra content, we send them everything, it's all great, except that um, at that point, I didn't know what the difference between like an RGB file and a CMYK file was. No, uh, it didn't look fun. <laughs> had to go in and convert everything. And Which then we did pretty quickly, that wasn't. Yeah, it was just a lot of like clicking um, and it wasn't that terrible, but like, like colors changed, which like maybe they shouldn't have, but they did. Um, and then with fulfillment, yeah, there's the whole, um, we, had, we had a pretty high, an unusually high percentage of international backers on, oh, really? our, on our campaign. Yeah, so we ended up deciding to warehouse, uh, to have a warehouse in the UK. Um, and but we were not informed about all the like customs stuff that happens when you then are importing large volumes of goods into the UK. Um, so that was a fun oh, yeah. adventure as well. Um, we ultimately delayed or delayed our delivery by two months. I think we were just on the cusp of like, we for like July, June or July, and we ended up doing 
fulfilling beginning of September. September, yeah. So it all worked out, but there certainly was, I definitely remember at PAX West, we were, we were supposed to have delivered by then, but like our stuff got stuck in customs because we didn't know what we were doing. So I remember being like in the corner of the lobby being like, what is happening? Why is our stuff just sitting in UK customs? What? Um, so yes, surprises and anxieties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> though, PTSD. imagine if that was somebody else's product that you were publishing instead of your own stuff that would maybe be even worse, right? Oh yeah, at least like I'm, well, I'm not the only one to blame for our mistakes, but <laughs> we did hire other companies that also made mistakes, but right. um, yeah, no, at least I, there's, I'm, I'm the, we're the people who are accountable to the deliverer rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. we're the people who are accountable for someone else's project that needs to get, yeah, that would, that would be very stressful. Yeah. There's also the mild anxiety that so many of our, the people who backed our Kickstarter had never played the game before. So we, we went to events either during our Kickstarter or afterward before we fulfilled mm-hmm. where people would come up and be like, oh, I backed this game on Kickstarter. I'd like to try it. And that just always blew my mind because it's like, oh, you gave me money for a thing you have no idea if you're going to like. So there was just that always that buzzing at the back of my head of like, 1700 people will not like this game, which is not true. Like at that point, we, we had the faith. Now we figured it out. Um, so that that's also a weird thing, like having all these people sign up for a product that they didn't like worrying that it, it would live up to their expectations. Do you see like Kickstarter or other crowdfunding sources as your business model going into the future? Are you hoping to not have to crowd, crowdfund in the future? What do you think? I know it's only your second game coming out, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, we have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I think um, Kickstarter is amazing um, in terms of allowing small teams like us to find an audience and to find the funding to like make these weird little projects come to life. Um, we would, be super glad to use Kickstarter again. I think we're it's just going to be on a on a project project basis, um, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's the best fit for a thing. We we went into self publishing because um, we didn't know any better. Like we everyone that we met who was doing what we were doing was using Kickstarter and was doing it themselves. It was only afterwards that we found out that there is like our board game publishers and that like pitching was a process and all this stuff. So we. I think I'm just open to exploring whatever comes our way. You did really jump in teeth first, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think you use that phrase throughout all of all of From now on, the little the shows forever. Jump <laughs> in teeth first. Yeah. So, so continuing the story then of uh, someone has died, um, I was partly interested in having you guys on because of one specific thing that you'd said to me in conversation, you said, we have our second printing coming soon. Yeah. And this shocked me mostly because it's just sort of, you know, common wisdom that most small games don't get printed a second time. So that suggested to me that a, there's some way by which you are moving your product after the Kickstarter is over. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you've managed to continue selling the game, but also be the sort of uh, decision process that went into doing another print run without doing another Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, well, we ran out of games <laughs> uh, a little problem. faster than we expected. Um, what was the thought process of doing a second printing? It seemed like people wanted it. So we were like, oh, I guess we'll print it again. Um, and and yeah, we were super fortunate that with um, um, the, the funding from Kickstarter, we were able to make a run that was bigger than our demand. And then the money that we made um, was enough to keep us going that we could uh, fund the second printing with with that money. Yeah. This is very poorly worded, but it's <laughs> <laughs> true. So I'm curious, uh, what, what if you're willing to say, like what size print runs were your first and second run? So our first print run was 3,000. 
Okay, and that's a good group. A little over half of it went to Kickstarter backers. Yeah. Um, so we we started selling post Kickstarter like mid September. Yeah. Like early, early to mid September, and we ended up selling out at the end of December. Wow. Um, and we had some pretty big events that we went to in that time. Like we were at PAX West selling. That was our first like official like selling on site convention. Mm -hmm. um, we did Rose City Comic Con and XOXO Fest uh, like the next weekend. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then in December we had PAX Unplugged, which is like a huge tabletop convention. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was huge, so we did very well. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, you guys um, moved like 1,200 units in like three months. I yeah. guess most people would find that pretty pretty great. Um, yes, we also were, so we are working with uh, our fulfillment company, Black Box, um, is who we're working with, and they have a wholesale-facing store. Okay. So, um, yeah. so we were able to get into like small retail shops across the U.S. like very with, with very little work on our part. Okay. But that's great because I think that's the sort of game that fits in those like little boutique shops, right? Yeah. Um, in a in an inter like because it's interesting and quirky and kitschy and cool as opposed to like you know pandemic or something like that. So that's that's really interesting. I, I like that. Um, how many units did you guys shift manually by hand at these various conventions in that three month period? It was it wasn't the whole remainder, was it? No, no. Um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head because we're terrible at that. Um, okay. But I mean, so what we did a Pacific Northwest adventure mm -hmm. where um, we shipped out at least a hundred. More than 100 for sure. Um, I, I would say in the Pacific Northwest, we did uh, so we did PAX West, Rose City Comic Con, and XOXO, and that was like a total of like let's say seven convention days because Rose City and XOXO overlapped. Days, yeah. We did, yeah, we had a Friday Saturday where we did the day from 10 to 6 at XOX at Rose City, then for seven ran across the street to XOXO and were there until midnight. <laughs> Um, that was exhausting, um, but yeah, we probably moved about 250 games during that like weekend at least. Wow, that's and great. We don't know what like the direct sales of like handing out a business card, how that. Yeah, Un unplugged was also very weird because we we brought a certain amount of games that we sold out of. Um, <laughs> So we started doing online orders because we had a certain amount left in our warehouse that you could order online. Mm -hmm. And then we ran out of those and we had some, we had games in our UK warehouse that we were decided to ship to the US. But then we didn't. It didn't make it in time. So we had like a very brief period where we were out of stock, but we just had like a couple hundred games like on a ship in the ocean somewhere that we were waiting for. Um, <laughs> So one, we got those in and then sold out of those. And then we were like, four reels sold out until our, <laughs> right. our, our second Until now. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's so, yeah. amazing. That's great. 3,000 is not a, a bad number at all. Um, that's, no. that's amazing. And, I, and again, I think that the for a con game, like a game that you'd buy at a convention, this what is the price point, like the MSRP on this? It's 25. Yeah, so... I think that's a great price point for selling at a con too. It's that kind of, oh, that looks cool. They don't have to think too much about it. They can buy it right, right. away. We have a question from another viewer. Uh, Reed Muscola, hopefully I'm saying that right. Correct me if I'm not, Reed. Asks, what marketing source, mailing list, social ads, convention presence, et cetera, brought in the biggest following for you? What do you think? Um, honestly, probably Kickstarter was the biggest one. Okay. Um, okay. Because Kickstarter has a built-in community, mm -hmm. um, and and not that it's like a given that you will get those numbers, right? You do have to go to the conventions, and you have to have the mailing list, and you have to have all this stuff for Kickstarter to be able to supplement that. Um, and then it's hard to, or we didn't. So when we first, another thing that we didn't know when we did a Kickstarter was that reference links are really important, and we like didn't. <laughs> figure that out until like after we hit launch and like it was too late to properly do the reference links. Yeah. Um, so the one, 
a reference that we know worked was our friends at Laywaste Games included us in like a newsletter one time. And ah, like, yeah. that brought over. So, I mean, and really, if you were to like trace that to like how that happened, that we ended up in Laywaste's newsletter is like that was being president at a convention and like hanging out after hours and having them try someone who's died and be like, wow, that's fun. Yeah. Our, uh, so we launched our Kickstarter September of 2017, like re- like a couple days after we got back from PAX West. So we were collecting a lot of emails during PAX West and we got a lot of signups. And I think it's because we were able to say like, we are launching a Kickstarter next week, as opposed mm-hmm. to at PAX East, we were saying like, we're gonna launch a Kickstarter sometime this summer, we don't know. Um, so having that like, you will receive a notification very soon of when you can support this game was a very actionable thing. So we had a lot of signups. Um, and it, I, I don't know the exact number, but a, a good amount of those translated into uh, like Kickstarter pledges. Right. So your, your mailing list conversion was pretty good. We yeah. don't have like an official calculation, but if oh, that's okay. <laughs> I don't need one. I don't need an official thing. You can just tell me it was awesome and I'll believe it. This isn't Shark Tank. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, one thing no. we were able to do, and I, uh, when we sent out our backer kit survey, um, I we included a question about where people, if they've played Someone Has Died, and where right. they played it. So we wrote, like, those numbers are somewhere in some, some spreadsheet that I've forgotten about. Um, but I'm glad I at least did that so we can track, like, who who heard about us where. Um, yeah. Awesome. So we've had a wonderful chat about someone dying or <laughs> someone hypothetically dying uh, and all of the wonderful things you've learned in that process. Uh, but what we'd like to spend the last few minutes talking about is what's next for Gather Round Games. Um, and so first question. No, <laughs> scheduling is the scheduling game that we brought is like our next project. We don't know how, like what form of project that will take exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's our, that's our thing that we're well, doing. We have some, we still have, like, obviously we have our second printing of Someone Has Died, like not to, but for what's next. Uh, we do have some like exciting stuff with Someone Has Died that like, we can't talk about right now. Um, but as far as like, yeah, our next project uh, is a game that is temporarily called Scheduling Simulator. That is a real-time game about scheduling plans with your friends. Um, so that is still, that's kind of our focus right now. And so where did that game come from? <laughs> that came from uh Conversation about doodle.com. You know the scheduling app Doodle? Yes. Well, this was we we were actually at Kickstarter. We were uh Kickstarter creators in residence last spring, which just meant they let us use their facilities to do our fulfillment and things like that. Um and we were talking to another creator in residence or uh, who brought up someone was like, Oh yeah, Mike hates Doodle, like really, really hates it. I was like, How do you hate a scheduling app with that much like passion. And, I, and then, like, I get it. And then he walked up and was like, hey, I heard you hate Doodle. And he goes, oh, I hate Doodle. And I was like, this is amazing, like how much hatred in him it inspired. Um, and I think he said something offhand. It's like, oh, that's great flavor for your next game. And we were like, ha, 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 ha. And then I opened a notebook. And then it seems to be, and we were actually on our way to uh, a game event in New York City. We were driving there. Nadia is just in the passenger seat, like furiously taking notes about what this game could look like. That so it was very much like, because I, I feel like we get that a lot, and I'm sure tons of game designers do, where someone will offhandedly say, like, you should make a game about this thing. And like, it was a ha ha ha. And this was one time where, where he just went, like, uh, hold on. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about then this game that is about hating Doodle, I think. <laughs> I don't think Doodle would like that. Um, I think they would love that. Yeah. Because uh, that Monday app is coming for them and they need more press. But So it's a game where each player has their own personal calendar uh, that kind of flips open um, with the days of the week. Uh, and you have cards in your hand that represent certain activities that you're doing with your friends. So you are trying to find someone at the table 
that has that matching activity card and find a time slot in your schedule that you can both do it. So once you do that, you exchange those cards and slide them into those slots and then you've scheduled a plan. Um, so it's a, it's a, didn't, it wasn't always real time. Uh, in fact, when, when Jesse played it, it was, I think the week before it had just turned into a real time game. So we're still figuring out like, what are we doing? Um, but yeah, we're trying, we were trying to capture that, that chaos of trying to corral your friends into, <laughs> into a single plan. Yeah, it was amazing. It's the first time in my life I've ever had a full calendar that was involved coordinating with other people. Like it was a fully planned week. It just, it was incredible. Everybody else around the table is like, this is a nightmare. And I was just like, no, this is fantastic. My calendar never looks it's like so this. popular. <laughs> You're training people to make calendars. There you go. I think when we first started, so the other, like, uh, you, you are responsible for your own calendar board. So you, you don't really see other people's calendars. And I think what really uh, tickled us when we first started making it was the idea of a, 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 a scheduling battleship game. Which is that kind is of a how really it started, good like... description of it. <laughs> it's like real-time scheduling battleship. Yeah. But like also go fish somehow. Yeah. yeah. Where you're trying to sink your own battleship yeah. first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who can drown in social obligations? Yeah. <laughs> That's the tagline. <laughs> Yeah, so we're still working out uh, kinks on that. Yeah, um, the mechanics but, still need to be right. set. Right. Um, and so, how how are you? How are you guys going about doing that? Are you part of local design groups? Do you just continuously recruit your friends and then make new friends when your existing friends get tired of playing your prototypes? Um, what's the strategy for working on this project? Um, well, here in New York, we're really lucky that we have have um, a, a playtest group that is like super active. They meet twice a week um, and we we don't go twice a week, but we <laughs> try to go as often as we can. Um, and yeah, that has a great group of designers who have been really friendly um, and welcoming to us. Um, and I think we have not bothered our friends about this one too much yet. Um, so someone has died they were totally sick of. It was like, I need to earn their trust back and then <laughs> try to get them to play this one. Um, this one's also a lot more limited in terms of like space. I don't know, like I, I live in Brooklyn. There's like, <laughs> no, where, remember we were trying to play test it at my table in my old apartment and like, we oh, to, you've got just to have be able to position in a place where we could open the booklet and not see each other. I mean, we'll figure it out. <laughs> when we were first testing it, it's uh, it's like a three to four player game right now. And when we were first testing it, just the two of us, we would play it where Dee would have her board and I would have two boards on each side of the room and I would just run in between them. Because by the time I got to one board, I would totally forget the schedule on the other board because I'm an idiot. Uh, so it was good when we got to the point where we started, we had more people to actually play it. And that was the emphasis. Like, I think we were very hesitant to bring this out to people um, because like it's the, the like first thing we've worked on since someone has died. It's the first like true co-design that we've ever done. And um, I think what pushed us to ultimately bring it to people was that we had to because we were not physically <laughs> capable of play testing this alone. Right. Uh, we have one question, one last question. Uh, Paul's asking, he, he said, oh, there's no time left, but there is Paul. For you, Paul, one of, our, one of our patrons, there's always time. So Paul asks uh, a question that just blotted out all of her faces. I often hear that amazing artwork is necessary to drive Kickstarters, but I love the simple, happy cartoon style of Someone Has Died, and it clearly worked just fine. Do you have any comments on how the art affected your success or how important you think it is or isn't? So no, art was very important. <laughs> no, we had plenty of people uh, like from the beginning to like our last convention who will say the art is what drew them in. I think having like, for, we, we have a very like attention grabbing name, which definitely helps for, for marketing. Um, <laughs> So that's a marketing tip, just like scare people uh, into thinking someone's died. Um, but as far as like the art itself, it it's definitely like very attention grabbing. 
Uh, and I think it's a testament to how, how well Adi did it. Um, yeah, I would say it's very important, um, especially on Kickstarter, because especially with board games, there is an expectation that you're buying a finished product, even if you're not. Right. Um, so like to have amazing art, um, it looks different for whatever it is. Like, so, so, it's like someone has died looks silly when you put it next to like Magic the Gathering, but they're each, the art is polished for what each project is. Um, so yeah, I think we needed, um, yeah, I don't think we would have done nearly as well without the art. It was also very important to balance out the, 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 theme. the theme. Like there's a way to do that game in a way that feels handles like death and will arbitrations in a way that feels real bad and being able to like elevate the tone <laughs> with like silly art really helps a lot yeah, yeah wanna, you're trying to do storytelling too so i think the the idea too if you have too much detail you're kind of already telling the story for them so what i like is the simplicity of it that it's like no no you need to put your details onto this this is just yeah. a starter we tried to have them all be like pretty nondescript blobby <laughs> so that you can, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Project whatever you want onto them. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. So it's that time of the show, let me just see the agenda, where we ask you all for some final advice. Jesse, go ahead and do the honors. Yeah. Um, so if there was one thing that you could tell to every game designer out there, what would that be? Do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I actually, though, is like if it's something you're interested in, but you're like con concerned about how your project might be perceived or how, um, I guess, mostly how your I imagine that's what most game designers worry about is like, how are people in this in in the industry that I want to enter, how are they going to see this? And I think that um, the best thing I could say is that the community has been like the most open and encouraging and helpful community that I've ever been a part of. Um, we just kind of want more people to come hang out at door conventions with us. And so if you are interested in coming to door conventions, like you should make a game and come to door conventions. <laughs> I think piggybacking off that because like people ha are so lovely and so nice. I think one piece of advice would be if they aren't lovely or nice, just keep trying. Um, because I think every every game designer has multiple stories of group, like either someone doesn't get it or someone is just mean. And like sometimes it'll be a whole group that you're playtesting with who doesn't get it or is mean. And I, it's, it's easy to kind of take that like really hard. Uh, so I think just if you get if you get bad feedback, and I'm not saying like don't ignore bad feedback, like there is a reason they're giving it to you. Um, but if 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 it's super disheartening feedback, like just try again. There's going to be another group, and maybe that's the group that the game works for. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. So on the way out of the Meeple Syrup show, uh, how can people reach you, Addie and Liz? How can people reach you to get a hold of someone has died when the next printing comes in? Uh, the next printing is in. The oh. game is available for purchase right now. Someonehasdiedgame.com slash store. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can also find Someone Has Died on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook um, at Someone Has Died. Um, we're also trying to build up our company presence a little bit. If you want to follow gather at Gather Round Game. <laughs> because Twitter will not take letters. one more character. Nope, we hit their character limit. That's another piece of advice. When you're coming up with a name for your company, make sure it fits the Twitter name limits. <laughs> There's a lot of people have that problem. This <laughs> is yeah. actually a common problem. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, and you can find me at Senfeng Lim. Jesse, you're at TT Void, even though you never look at it. Mm -hmm. Eric and Erica, where are you? At Frenemy Games, but Frenemy with an I. Frenemy Games. Uh, so that's our Twitter handles. Uh, and hey, we just hit a milestone today, actually, or yesterday, maybe. Uh, we are over 500 people 
on the maple syrup shop top. Shop top group, yes. Which is wonderful. And Adi and Liz, are you guys on that group yet? I don't think so. So no. we can 500. We will, in, we will have to invite you. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, we'll invite you to the group and we'll have 503 or four, which will be amazing. Um, we've got a lot of great people in the group. If you'd like to talk about the industry, the hobby, and some of the issues that maybe aren't talked about in other spaces, uh, it's a great place to be. It is a private group, but uh, we're, we're pretty willing to give you a shot. Um, even, even Paul Saxberg can join. That's great. Um, and another thing, uh, we have about a fat. We have now over a thousand likes and followers yeah. on the Maple Syrup page itself, which is wonderful as well. So we'll see how we kind of. We're gonna have to do something because Erica made a promise that no, we I would do something. Oh, we want to do a, a giveaway of some kind. Well, so we're almost at a thousand on the page likes, but we have over a thousand followers. It's a weird one. I don't know which is which. So. But the goal was when we hit a thousand Who page likes, us but doesn't like us. I don't know. We actually have more followers than likes. I don't quite get how it works, but that's okay. We're almost at a thousand likes, but we're over a thousand followers. Nice. And right. I don't know what the the face the Twitter's at, whatever. But anyway, right. I our, we'll, we'll our goal was out. something fun to give away. Oh, Twitter's always been over a couple thousand. It's it's yeah. been a you know two three thousand all the time. But uh, that's an easy one. You just follow and let it go. Um, the other thing, uh, by the way, we've mentioned a bunch of people who like Brad Batchelor, like Paul Saxberg, like Zach Connolly, who are our patrons. You can follow our patronage, or I don't, you don't follow it, but you, you, can, you can become a Join patron. Join our Patreon. <laughs> yes, at www.patreon.com slash maple syrup. And there's a bunch of stuff that we'll be giving to people who support us. You can support us at a $2 level or a $5 level above that. And there's shirts and buttons and patches for the higher level things. For people who s support at a higher level, we will also do um, some work in terms of doing like a high level um, review of a sales sheet, that kind of stuff, after X number of months of your patronage. Okay, so go check it out, patreon.com slash syrup. And tomorrow or the next day, in fact, I think I'm releasing a video of how I punch holes in chips so you can you can get to see me hammering on my insider information <laughs> insider information you yeah. always wish you knew that's what's going to come out there we also have a couple other interviews that uh jesse's located in our archives from the vaults that we might be able to show up there too so patreon.com slash maple syrup if you're a patron you'll get access to a whole bunch of special special stuff so I think that's it for the show. Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you for all the people who are commenting on the feed, who are asking questions to Liz and Adi. And thank you so much, Liz and Adi, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you. We hope to see you guys soon. And I really want to play this real-time scheduling game because like Jesse, I super enjoy real-time games. And we'll be at Origins. Scheduling. I will not be at Origins. Damn. All right, next uh, one. <laughs> But Erica, will you be at Origins? No, I can't. It's Father's oh, Day. Oh, that's right. Both of us can't be at oh, Origins. I would love to, but yeah. they've got to stop putting it on like important weekends. Um, will you be at Gen Con, Liz? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. I think so we'll all be at Gen Con. Kineticon, Gen Con, Shucks. Okay, so I'll be at Shucks. I'll be at Gen Con. Okay. Jesse will most likely will be at Kubacon this weekend. Yeah. So all y'all out there in California, we'll go see Jesse out there. Um, Erica and I will be in Toronto at where? Portispiel. Uh, no, Anime I will be North. at Anime North for me. Anime North. And Anime North for me this weekend. And then we'll be at Fan Expo in August and at Proto TO in September, right? And Jesse will be back in Canada. Hopefully I'll be back. We're trying to encourage our local scene to go up. We, we need are, more things yes. here. Yeah, and see, look, Paul is saying, I hope to see you all at Shucks, and I hope to buy a copy of Someone Has Died at Shucks. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you already got one sale for Shucks, and two, <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll be there as well, and I'll, I'll buy it there too, which is wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> I'll exactly bring exactly two discounts. copies. <laughs> yeah, exactly no more two copies. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much, everyone. We'll see you all next week. Um, just a quick, 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 quick view here of what we're doing over the next week. Oh, uh, next week is 
dissecting the game. Hmm. We haven't picked a game to dissect, Jesse, or a genre, and Erica's not going to be here. We'll talk about it offline and make an announcement tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Erica, what's your most hated genre of game? Because we'll do that one. While Why am I here. not here next week? What am I missing? I don't know. It's just in purple. Erica away. Oh, why am I away? I don't remember being away. It's it's May oh, 29th. I know why. It's my mom's birthday. It just occurred to oh, me what date it was. Mom. It's the 29th. It's my yeah, mom's yeah. birthday. But happy she birthday, moved to Tuesday, so I'm back on again. Yay. That's why I was like, why am I missing the show? She moved it. That's why. It was I am deleting this. So, uh, Erica, remember <laughs> on the 28th, you have your mother's birthday. I have it right on my calendar. That's why I was a little confused. See, now I feel like we're playing that real-time scheduling game. <laughs> it works. It's so pertinent to real life. <laughs> it is so pertinent to real life. It is. It's good training. Excellent. It is. And on that note, we're going to end the show. We'll see you guys all here next week when we dissect the game. We don't know which one, but we'll announce it tomorrow. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye, Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Meeple Syrup Show. If you'd like to support us on all of our projects, please check out our Patreon page. We can be found at www.patreon.com backslash Meeple Syrup. Until next time, make some great games.